We are continuing our series entitled Famous Faith, where Hebrews 11 lists acts of faith uh, done by Old Testament heroes, and we are learning about faith from them. One of our new directives is to be spirit-led, where we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in everything. And if we're going to live spirit-led lives, well, that is going to require faith. In week one, uh, we talked about how faith allows us to see the unseen. Uh, connecting with God isn't something we do with our eyes. It is something we do by faith. As Scripture says, we live by faith, not by sight. Last week, Brett talked about the faith of Abraham, how Abraham accepted God's promises, how he acted on God's promises, how he anticipated what God was going to do. And Abraham's faith changed how he perceived life. Uh, this morning, we're going to unpack the significance and power of passing down our faith. Our scripture this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20 to 31. Go ahead and you can turn there in your Bibles. Hebrews is near the end of the Bible. You can also look it up on your phones if that'd be simpler. Uh, as I said, Hebrews 11, it lists many famous men and women of God from the Old Testament. It highlights their faith. And these verses that we're about to read go chronologically from Isaac to Rahab uh, with an emphasis on Moses. Our scripture reader this morning is Marie Cunningham. I'm going to ask Marie to make her way to the podium. And as she does, I'm going to ask if you're able, please stand and face the center of the room. Um, we read from the center of the room uh, because scripture should be central in our lives. And we stand because we believe this is the word of God. And so, Marie, whenever you are ready, please read from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20 to 31. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Marie, thank you very much. You may be seated. 
Uh, when I was in middle school, there was a time when myself and two of my brothers, uh, we were spending the night at a family friend's house. Uh, family friends, uh, their name the Holtons. Uh, the Holton family was a large family. They had seven kids. And our family and the Holtons, we had done a couple uh, family vacations together, and so we were pretty familiar with the family dynamics. And while we were there spending the night, a large load of firewood had come in, and it needed to be stacked in the storage area. And I remember, it was a lot of firewood. Well, Mr. and Mrs. Holton, they got all seven of their kids, as well as me and my brothers, to help stack the wood. And before we began, Mr. Holton asked one of his kids, he said, Tom, what is one of the rules of this house? And without missing a beat, Tom said, if you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't work, you don't eat. Um, it didn't take all that long with, you know, like a dozen of us. It didn't take that long to stack the wood. It was less than an hour. But what made such an impression on me was how that rule was ingrained in the Holton kids. If you don't work, you don't eat. Which is actually, many of you know this, is a Bible verse, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Um, now, I haven't interacted with the Holtons for decades, but I bet that work instinct still defines them. If you don't work, you don't eat. Um, there are certain values that our families instill in us, and those values, they will differ from family to family, uh, but values like hard work and respecting your elders or uh, having compassion or honesty or creativity or kindness, um, you can also catch values from non-family, from a teacher or a friend or a boss, something that they valued made an impact on you and now you value that thing too. There are values that you live by that you caught from someone else, whether family or non-family. Now in this passage in Hebrews, we catch a glimpse of faith being passed down and we see the power of a passed down faith. When it comes to passing down the faith, Passing down the faith, first of all, is fixed in optimism. If you're going to pass down the faith, that is going to be fixed in optimism. Going back to the passage, verses 20 to 22, where it says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith Joseph when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones, jumping down to verse 31, where it says, By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Isaac blessed his sons in regard to their future. Uh, Jacob has 12 sons, and he blesses each of them. And this passage mentions that Jacob blesses even Joseph's sons. Now look, you don't bless your sons if you don't have a certain amount of optimism. While the Israelites are still in Egypt, Joseph's optimism makes him so confident that they will end up in the promised land one day that he gives instructions about the burial of his bones. And then if you fast forward to Rahab... If you know anything about that story, well, the city that she lives in, the Israelites have surrounded and they are about to invade her city. And she has the faith to welcome the Israelite spies looking forward with optimism to a better future for her and her family. Now, we pass down values like hard work and respect and honesty because we believe 
that these values will help our children face whatever comes their way in the future. We are optimistic that even though we don't know the future, we believe that these values will help them regardless. Well, if that is true for things like hard work and respect and honesty, how much more is that true for our faith in Jesus? Surely, our faith in Jesus will help our kids regardless of what the future holds. Do we have the optimism to believe that? As a pastor, I encounter a lot of pessimism about the future. And I get it, because, you know, if you look around, there's a lot to be pessimistic about. But as followers of Jesus, what is the source of our hope? It's not our circumstances. It's our faith in Jesus. If we look to our circumstances as our primary source of hope, our hope will be fleeting because circumstances are fleeting. Things are here one day and gone the next. Do we believe that our faith in Jesus will see us through all things? Do we believe that our faith in Jesus will see us through all things. Do we believe that our faith in Jesus will see us through all things? That's the source of our optimism. I don't know how it will be okay, but I believe it will be okay because of my faith in Jesus. And if we believe that, we will pass that down to our children and to others. We'll pass it on to anyone who will listen. The passage refers to Jacob blessing Joseph's sons. Now, these would be two of Jacob's grandsons. And here is part of that blessing. Genesis 48, verse 20. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim and Manasseh. Those are Jacob's two sons. And he blessed them and he said, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh to all of Israel. Now the best explanation I've come across for this blessing, for why Jacob wanted his descendants to be like Ephraim and Manasseh, Again, Israel was made up of 12 tribes named after 10 of Jacob's sons. And for those of you who may have forgotten, uh, Jacob is renamed Israel, which is where the nation gets its name from. So Israel is made up of 12 tribes named after 10 of Jacob's sons and these two grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And Jacob wants all of Israel to be like Ephraim and Manasseh. Last month, I talked about how Jacob's family was messed up and how Jacob's sons did not get along and they fought a lot. Well, Ephraim and Manasseh, they came after all of that. Ephraim and Manasseh, they were never a part of any conflict. And Jacob wants all of Israel to be like Ephraim and Manasseh. In other words, he wants all of his descendants to get along for there to be no infighting. And to issue a blessing like that, that takes optimism. 
<laughs> Anyone who has more than one child, <laughs> you know that that takes optimism. Now, the rest of the story is, and many of you know, is it doesn't happen that way. Jacob's descendants don't get along. The history of the nation of Israel is littered with infighting. So, so much for that blessing. You know, I was just a child when, Iran, when the Iran hostage crisis occurred. I remember hearing about it on the news, how Iranians were holding Americans hostage in Iran. And for over a year, the Iranians held them hostage. And it made a deep impact on me. I was afraid of Iranians. I had a distrust of anything Iranian because of that hostage crisis. Now, another thing about my childhood is I loved professional wrestling growing up. Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, Macho Man, Randy Savage. Uh, professional wrestling tapped into my distrust of Iranians because one of the bad guys of professional wrestling when I was growing up was called the Iron Sheik. The Iron Sheik. That's not playing on any racial stuff, is it? Now, Iron Sheik's enemy was, this is great, Sergeant Slaughter. Sergeant Slaughter was his enemy. Sergeant Slaughter was the good guy. Iran versus America in the wrestling ring. And I loved it when Sergeant Slaughter would beat the Iron Sheik. Now, as I got older, I outgrew my distrust of Iranians. And even after like 9-11, I didn't really harbor any negative feelings towards those from the Middle East. But you know something? God has a sense of humor. A few years ago, a group of us went to Turkey to go teach at a Christian conference for Iranian Christians. Now, there were significant cultural differences, and there was a significant language barrier, but none of that mattered because we were all brothers and sisters in Christ. Even though we were strangers, there was an instant connection because of our faith. Our faith in Christ made us like Ephraim and Manasseh. And I remember at one moment in that conference, thinking back to my childhood fears and animosity and realizing this is the power of Jesus. I'm worshiping with my Iranian brothers and sisters. Revelation 7 says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Israel didn't become like Ephraim and Manasseh, but a descendant of Israel came, and in him is the power to make people from every nation and every tribe like Ephraim and Manasseh, brothers and sisters who love each other because faith in Jesus was passed down to all of us at that conference. And because of that, I experienced the power of that blessing. Be like Ephraim and Manasseh. Passing down our faith is fixed in optimism. Optimism in the power of Jesus. And passing down our faith in Jesus, it forms identity. It forms identity. Going back to our passage, verses 23 to 27, 
where it says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sins. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Many of you know the story of Moses. When his parents could hide him no longer, he was put in a basket and floated down the Nile River where the daughter of Pharaoh found him and raised him as her own. And Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household. But at some point, Moses found out that he was a Hebrew. And even though he grew up in the palace of Pharaoh, he identified with the Hebrew slaves. And he left Egypt. The first time he fled for his life, and the second time he led those he identified with out of Egypt. Now we live in a time and a place where you can be whatever you want to be. We are allowed to form our own identity. And there's lots of good things about that. But the problem with becoming whatever we want to become is it's harder to know who we really are. Lots of groups want us to identify with them. How do you answer this very simple question? Who are you? Well, okay, I'm Chuck Swoboda. Well, okay, that's your name. But who are you? So we try to answer that with our careers, our family, our friends, our hobbies. I'm a pastor, a husband, a father. I like to golf. I'm a Packer fan. Although, after yesterday's game, I'm questioning some of my life choices. <laughs> Who are you? It's a hard question to answer. You can be whatever you want to be. And because we can be whatever we want to be, it becomes really hard to answer who we are. Moses found his identity, not just in his family, but Moses found his identity in the faith of his people. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, that God found Moses and gave him a calling and said, you will deliver my people out of slavery. And Moses' faith in God is where he found his identity. I'm the one who will lead the people out of Egypt. That became his identity. His identity shaped his whole life. Galatians 3 says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jew or Gentile? is a question of race. Slave or free is a question of status. Male or female is a question of gender. Race, status, gender. Isn't it amazing how these three categories are how we identify ourselves today? 
through faith in Christ, you are a child of God. And all these other identity markers are dwarfed by your identity in Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus, a child of God, called by God to do good works which he prepared in advance for me to do. What if we approached our whole lives with that identity? Well, it would change how we work. <laughs> I'm a follower of Jesus, a child of God, called by God to do good works which he prepared in advance for me to do. It would change the way we relate to our family and friends. I'm a follower of Jesus, a child of God, called by God to do good works which he prepared in advance for me to do. It would change the way you approached every interaction with every person you ever come across. I'm a follower of Jesus, a child of God, called by God to do good works which he prepared in advance for me to do. Who are you? Passing down the faith forms our identity. Passing down the faith, it's fixed in optimism, it forms identity, and it is a foundation to greater faith. Going back to the passage one more time, verses 28 to 30. By faith, he, meaning Moses, kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. The last plague on Egypt was that of the firstborn. The angel of death would come and kill every firstborn son, whether it was uh, Israeli or Egyptian. And the Israelites protected their children by faith. As, instruction, as instructed, they applied blood to the door frames of their homes. And the angel passed over any home that had blood on the door frame. And then those very same people passed through the sea on dry land. And that moment in the Exodus is the most significant moment in the entire Old Testament. When the Israelites passed through the Red Sea and the Egyptians were drowned. That was the most significant moment in the entire Old Testament. But the people who passed through the sea were not the same people who marched around Jericho because they did not have the faith to enter the promised land. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. They had the faith to apply the blood on their door frames. They had the faith to cross the Red Sea on dry ground, but it was their children who would march around Jericho, including the children who were protected from the angel of death. The children that they passed their faith onto. And when they passed their faith onto their children, it led to even a greater faith than what they had. Because their children had the faith to enter the promised land. But the children would never have made it that far if it wasn't for their parents' faith. They stood on the shoulders of their parents' faith. 2 Timothy 1 verse 5 
Paul writes to Timothy saying, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Paul is writing to Timothy, acknowledging the faith legacy of his mom and grandmother. And Timothy would become a key leader in the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was the third largest city in the Roman Empire behind Rome and Alexandria. And what Timothy accomplished was because of his mom, his grandmother, and the Apostle Paul. My mother is a woman of deep faith. Her faith has seen her through all sorts of trials. Uh, my mom has four sons. I'm, I'm one of six, and I have uh, two sisters, three brothers. And my mom, so my mom has four sons. And sometime after I became a pastor, someone told me that my mom wanted one of her sons to become a priest. I grew up Catholic, so my mom wanted one of her four sons to become a priest. And I've always said, well, you know, being a pastor, that's close enough, isn't it? And besides mom, you get extra grandchildren on top of that. Um, I believe that God honored my mom's faith, that part of the reason I'm a pastor is because of my mom's faith. And there are others who have invested in me, Chris Peck, Ray Tilstra, Brian Taylor, Brian Vriesman, who in addition to my mom, I stand on the shoulders of their faith. I want us to do a little exercise this morning and I'm going to give you a heads up. I need you to get mentally ready because this exercise is going to require some of you to stand. So just start mentally preparing that you may have to stand if this is true for you, okay? Get that ready? All right. Not all of you will have to stand, I don't think. Well, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Okay? I would like third-generation believers, which means if your parents and grandparents had faith in Jesus... That makes you a third-generation believer. I would like you to stand. Third-generation believers. That means your parents and grandparents were believers. I'd like you to stand. Okay, that might have been more than I anticipated. This is really cool. Um, I would like you sometime today to take the time to reflect in the ways you stand on the shoulders of the faith of your parents and grandparents. And I want you to thank God for them. Okay? You may be seated, although you'll probably be standing in a little bit again, but you can be seated for now. It's okay. Now, if you are a first-generation believer, which means you do not come from a family of faith in Jesus, please stand. Do we have any first-generation believers in here? Yes, please stand. Awesome. Um, now, I want you to think about the people who made a faith impact on you. And I want you to thank God for them. And for all of us, um, whether you have children or not, I want you to think about the impact you can make on those who are not in your family. Because just like these believers came to faith through someone outside of their family, you can make that impact on somebody else. First generation believers, you can have a seat. I want third generation believers to stand back up again. Now this is something I want all of us to see and remember. Everyone who is standing 
Your life is different because of the faith of your parents and grandparents. It started with a first generation of faith. Those of you who are part of a first generation of faith, you can start what these people's grandparents started. Every time we make a faith impact on someone, it changes future generations. Every time we make a faith impact on someone, it changes the future of generations. You can see it standing before you right now. Okay, you guys can be seated. Thank you for cooperating. You guys were great. How will you pass your faith to someone else? In passing down the faith, remember our optimism, our faith in Jesus will see us through all things. In passing down our faith, remember who we are. And in passing down our faith, remember that every faith impact we make changes generations. How will you pass your faith to someone else? Please pray with me. Lord, we, I, I do, I thank you for the men and women who have made impacts on all of us in this room because of their faith in you, because of their faithfulness to you. And Lord, I would ask that you would, again, remind us of our identity in you. And Lord, whether it's our kids or a friend or a coworker or a student or just someone that we have a relationship with, that you would remind us that you have called us to do good works which you have prepared in advance for us to do. And Lord, help us see the power of the faith as it has been passed down to us and as we pass it to others. And it's in the name of Jesus our Lord we pray. Amen. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.